Well, I thank God for all who have led us in worship today, including our excellent student musicians. We are in the season of Advent and so beginning a new sermon series entitled, What Child Is This? We'll be looking at different aspects of the identity of Christ. And today I want to draw your attention to Mark chapter 13. I'll read verses 24 through 27 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of the sermon is Anticipating the Son of Man. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I don't know about you, but this time of year, I like to feel warm and fuzzy as much as possible, especially in the evenings. I like to shake a snow globe and watch the loveliness unfold inside. I like to drink hot chocolate by the fireplace, or at least by the U-Log channel on TV. I like to ride around with family and look at Christmas lights and sigh with satisfaction. I like to admire our Christmas tree at home and recall the many fond memories represented by the various ornaments. I like to listen to classic Christmas songs performed by artists such as Nat King Cole, Brenda Lee, Pentatonix, and Placido Domingo. I like to watch feel-good Christmas movies such as Miracle on 34th Street, It's a Wonderful Life, The Star, A Charlie Brown Christmas, and that deeply meaningful holiday motion picture. Elf. <laughs> In my mind, December is a time for coziness and conviviality, for heartwarming music and twinkling lights, for gingerbread houses and manger scenes. So imagine my consternation when I ran into Mark 13 in the lectionary for today. What is this talk of suffering and the sun going dark and the moon not giving light and the stars falling? Who is interrupting 
the quaint ambiance of Christmas ornaments and Yule logs with such unpleasant, unsettling proclamations. Turns out, it's Jesus. You know, the baby in the manger grew up to be an apocalyptic prophet. The infant in Bethlehem grew up to forecast the end of the world. Throughout Mark 13, he bellows warnings. The temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed. False prophets will lead many astray. Nation will rise against nation in battle. Earthquakes and famines will occur. It's almost enough to spill the hot chocolate. Apocalyptic discourse is not for the faint of heart. Jesus echoes Old Testament prophets by predicting God's final intervention in terms of the solar system collapsing. Isaiah 13 says, For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. Joel 2 adds, The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. Jesus likewise foretells a time when the celestial infrastructure will crumble, and all that is light and bright will fall dark. Of course, December can be a season of darkness too. When we stare at the empty chair and miss our loved one. When memories of bygone Christmases bring more grief than nostalgia. When we grapple with illness, anxiety, or depression. When we experience relational difficulties, financial strain, professional pressure, or school-related stress. December can go dim like the strand of Christmas lights that worked just fine last year, but will not come on this time around. However, the darkness Jesus describes constitutes the framework for something new to unravel. It evokes the book of Genesis where darkness covered the face of the deep and then came God's good creation. Biblically speaking, darkness can mark the context in which something good develops. In his book entitled The Substance of Things Hoped For, a memoir of African-American faith, the legendary and late Virginia Baptist pastor Samuel D. Proctor told a story from when he and his wife were first married and were living in Fredericksburg. Their next-door neighbor was an elderly woman who had a large, fragrant flower called a night-blooming cereus growing in her front yard. When other flowers were dormant, after the last rays of sunlight dimmed and the rhythms of photosynthesis ceased, the cereus spread open its petals 
and effused its perfume. Late on summer nights around midnight, when Proctor and his wife would sit on their porch trying to catch a late night breeze, their older neighbor would quietly come over and invite them to come see her lovely flower blooming in the dark. Proctor related this to the 1890s when cultural forces aligned against black progress and the nation was awash in anti-black sentiment and yet hope still bloomed within the black community. Somehow, he said, we believed that we too could bloom darkness notwithstanding. There is indeed the possibility of blossoming amid the darkness. There is indeed the potential for something fresh and beautiful to emerge amid the ominous shadows. Jesus points in a similar direction as he anticipates the end of time during his discourse about suffering and the sun and moon going dark, he says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with power and great glory. The darkness of chaos, warfare, natural disaster, and cosmic catastrophe will give way to the advent of the Son of Man. The terminology evokes Daniel 7 which says, I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. The son of man, therefore, is an end times figure whom all peoples and nations will serve. He is an eternal king with an everlasting dominion. Strikingly, Jesus is claiming to be the Son of Man. And in case we miss it here, later in Mark 14, the high priest asks Jesus, are you the Messiah? And he responds, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The mild infant in the manger is also the mighty ruler at the end of time. The sweet baby in Bethlehem is also the ultimate king of all creation. The little one born as the Son of God will come at last as the son of man. I don't know if they make Christmas ornaments featuring the son of man appearing at the end of time. I don't know if they make snow globes depicting the son of man with a cloud, but I do know this is good news. You see, the cloud is not a vehicle Jesus rides like a cowboy rides a horse. Rather, the cloud symbolizes continuity with the God of the Old Testament. In Exodus 34, the Lord descended in a cloud. Indeed, God guided Israel through the wilderness in the form of a cloud. The same God from way back then will prove faithful 
to the very end when the Son of Man comes in power and great glory. While Daniel portrays the Son of Man ascending to the throne of heaven, Jesus portrays the Son of Man descending to earth. He descends not to unleash divine wrath, but to undertake divine rescue. The Son of Man is coming to gather the elect, to redeem believers, to bring everlasting salvation to all of God's people. The expansive language from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven accentuates the inclusiveness of this divine gathering project. No nook or cranny anywhere on earth will be overlooked. No corner or crevice anywhere in heaven will be omitted. The Son of Man will collect his people from high and low, from near and far, from deep and wide, from the living and the dead, so that none will be abandoned to the darkness. It reminds me of earlier this year when a dispute between two generals in Sudan quickly escalated into war between their two armies. Journalist Declan Walsh reports that two university students in the capital city of Khartoum quickly locked themselves into their apartment while the walls were shaking from the explosions. A few days into this intense conflict, these students got a call requesting a taxi to pick up a UN official who was trapped in her apartment. Outside her building were pickup trucks mounted with machine guns shooting at warplanes overhead. Black smoke was infiltrating her home and she was all out of water. The students got the call because they had a side gig driving a taxi while they studied at the university. But this wasn't a job. This was a desperate request for a dangerous favor. Courageously, the students hopped into their sedan and set off into the city. They saw buildings speckled with bullet holes, charred vehicles in the streets, and fighters virtually everywhere, navigating check posts along the way and crunching bullet casings beneath their tires. They finally reached the woman's apartment where she had been hiding in her bathroom for days as bullet holes dotted her living room wall. They took her to their car and drove her back through the battle zone to a safer area where refugees were gathering, weeping with relief. The woman then asked the students if they could possibly go back and get her friends. The students indeed went back. And over the next week, they rescued a total of 60 people, including teachers, diplomats, and aid workers. Several said the students swooped to their aid at horrifying, life-threatening moments. These students braved robbery, threats of execution, shell fire, and bullets in their simple sedan while sizable organizations with security guards and professional drivers were nowhere to be found. As one official said, despite the chaos and the bombing, these students 
were the ones who turned up. Similarly, Christ promises that he will turn up. Amid chaos and catastrophe, he will arrive and gather his people into the safety of his salvation. He will collect the people of God from every corner of the cosmos. The Son of Man will rescue us in the end. Yet instead of extracting a few while the world continues to burn, Christ will take over with great power and glory. He will inaugurate his eternal dominion. His reign of love, joy, peace, and justice will mark the onset of a new creation, the ultimate kingdom of God. Endless are the debates about the specifics of the end times in terms of what will happen, how it will happen, and the sequence of things. But Christ does not want us constructing timetables or fixating on extraneous details. He's emphasizing the bottom line. At the end of all things, Christ will turn up. The grand finale of all history will be his glorious appearing. He will save God's people and set up God's eternal kingdom. Our future is secure. For whatever the future holds, it will hold Christ at the end. And Christ will hold us in the kingdom of God. No bad thing is the last thing. No evil thing is the final thing. Neither suffering nor struggle will have the last word. Neither darkness nor chaos will have the final say. Neither sin nor death will claim ultimacy, for Christ is the end of the world. Now in the meantime, in the here and now, he calls us to stay ready. Keep alert, he says a few verses later, for you do not know when the time will come. Keep awake, he says. The summons is not to stare at the sky in case the sun goes dark, but to trust the God who is working to bring history toward a gracious and glorious conclusion despite all appearances to the contrary. To keep awake is to anticipate God's good future with our present mindset and our current conduct. To keep awake is to wait faithfully for the Son of Man with activity befitting His Lordship, such as love, mercy, justice, forgiveness, reconciliation, and righteousness. To keep awake is to stay constantly ready for the end by forgiving those we need to forgive and by serving God in word and deed, by extending love to neighbors and by extending hospitality to strangers, by providing food for the hungry and by spreading the good news of the gospel. It is to live in a continual state of wakefulness to God's will, wakefulness to God's intentions, wakefulness to God's purposes, rather than dozing off spiritually like the disciples did at Gethsemane. 
even though Jesus had implored them to keep awake. Some years ago, there was a young girl around 9 or 10 years old who decided to profess her faith and be baptized. I went over everything with her ahead of time so there wouldn't be any surprises on the day of her baptism. I talked about what I would say and what she would say and what it would be like going into the water and all the people looking at us. And On the appointed morning, there we stood before the whole church and I baptized her. I lowered her under the water as usual, but when she emerged from the water, her eyebrows were raised and her mouth was agape in astonishment. Whoa, she said to me. That sure woke me up. I have never heard a better summary of baptism. That sure woke me up. <laughs> baptism indeed signifies that believers are awake to the reality of God, awake to new life in Christ, and awake to the new world that God is bringing. Today, Christ invites us to awaken afresh like an alarm clock going off in the middle of silent night, Christ interrupts our holiday ambiance with startling forewarnings of the end times. His apocalyptic message is disconcerting, yet it's ultimately really good news. In fact, his thunderous declarations are quite comforting in the final analysis. Maybe the message of the Son of Man can dovetail with gingerbread houses and twinkling lights so long as we don't slip into spiritual complacency. Maybe the message of the Son of Man can jibe with the tranquilities of Advent so long as we actively keep awake for God's final intervention. Maybe Christmas ornaments featuring the Son of Man's arrival and snow globes featuring the Son of Man with a cloud could actually work. Maybe anticipating the Son of Man could even enhance our warm and fuzzy feeling as we sit by the Yule log with hot chocolate in hand. For whatever the future holds, it will hold Christ at the end. And Christ will hold us in the marvelous kingdom of God. Amen.